Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Oh, hi, Hannah Gelb. Hi, buddy. Hi. Hannah Hart. I haven't talked to you in so long. I know. I know. It feels like it's been a, a week at a time, even. How has learning about your Enneagram changed your life? Do you feel like it's really enhanced your life since last week? Well, I think I've been more aware of my four type tendencies, so that's been helpful. I have yet to, you know, read any more of the book, which would probably help <laughs> quite a bit. Yeah, I think it's made me maybe less, maybe a teensy bit less hard on myself and more like, oh, well, that's kind of the way I am. So I just should try and work with it instead of uh, embrace it instead of rejecting it. Indeed, indeed. But uh, what about you? I also haven't read any more of the book, um, but I did read a second <laughs> book that I haven't yet read, The Nine Leadership Types. That one I oh. am excited to read. Yeah. So I'm going to see what being a type two leader is all about so I can be a more a more effective leader. But I will say that having our knowledge of our Enneagram test um, has just made me really want to make every single person I know take their Enneagram so that I can know more <laughs> about them. <laughs> Absolutely. I definitely want all my close friends and family members to do it. That's so exciting, dude. And I definitely want to learn more about your type. You know, I just realized, I think, I think our tagline, you know, how we're still, <laughs> we will, uh, infinitely, <laughs> indefinitely be trying to decide a sign out. I think it should be, analyze this. We didn't read the book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Analyze this. Sometimes we have an outline. <laughs> <laughs> we read part of it. We read part of it. Analyze this. Just skimming. Just um, enough. <laughs> just enough. Well, you know, I, I chalk that up to, uh, you know, us on our, on our perpetual journey for self-knowledge. It's always a work in progress. And here we have our personality types better understood with the Enneagram. But let's get even more specific. Let's explore what our creativity types are. Oh. Today we'll be joined by Carolyn Gregoire. Ooh, that's a fancy sounding name. I hope I didn't mispronounce it. Author and creative consultant here to talk to us about creativity, personality types, and the creator of the Adobe Creativity Personality Type Test, or Creative Type Test. Either way, let's go. Hi, Carolyn. Thank you so much for joining us. Hi. Thanks for having me. Thanks for pronouncing my last name right. That's very rare, I have to say. <laughs> oh, that's because Hannah spent time in France. 
Oh, of course. <laughs> well, there you go. It was during a terrible breakup, and I forever disliked the city of Paris because of it. But I would oh, like dear. to go Well, back that's again. a different episode. <laughs> <laughs> but you got some good pronunciation out of it, so that's something. Yeah. It looks pretty much like Gregoire. I mean, the other option would be like, Gregoire over you. Gregory. Oh, Gregory. Yeah, that's, that's the usual. Um, Carolyn, I'm trying not to like fangirl out super hard because um, I, I just think it's so amazing that you have written this book about creativity and also helped make a test for Adobe. Adobe? Like the biggest beautiful thing company on the planet. Yes, it, it was <laughs> such a fun test to take. And I'm just, I'm so happy you're here. Thanks, guys. I'm really excited to be here. It's kind of crazy when you think about it because Adobe has like their, because of their software, they've got like their fingers in all these creative pots. You know what I mean? Like, is there any person in a creative industry that hasn't been touched by Adobe in some way? Oh, they're doing everything. It's it's crazy. There's so many different branches, too. I like just started tiptoeing into it and was like, wow, this is like a whole world <laughs> that I did not even know about. Whoa. You know, I'm kind of ready for Adobe to buy America. <laughs> I would prefer to live in an Adobe-based America as well. Oh, good. Yeah. You know, I just think... Okay, sure, it would be a big change and probably be a little difficult, but everything would look better. That's true. We do need creativity to solve the the problems we're facing right now, so I'm all in support of that. How does one become a creative consultant? Can you give us a little bit of the background um, in your life and your studies that kind of led you to arrive at this at this place? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I... I studied philosophy, you know, was everyone told me it would be a useless major and actually has served me very well. You know, I basically got to spend four years just kind of asking questions and exploring um, these big topics and, you know, looking for answers and kind of never finding them and always coming back to the question. And I became a journalist after I graduated and I was writing a lot about psychology and wellness and health, uh, neuroscience, mental health all of those kinds of things, just because that was a big personal interest of mine. So I was at the Huffington Post for six years doing a lot of wellness coverage there. And as I started focusing more on psychology, I got really, really interested in creativity and in how the creative mind works. And it just became an area of personal passion and exploration for me, and also something that I was really going deep into researching. And so about five years ago, I did a piece for HuffPost about uh, the personality traits of highly creative people. And to my surprise, it went super viral. It got a lot of attention within a few days. It got like 5 million clicks or something. It was really awesome to see that people were so excited about it and were really resonating with the description of the creative person that I had sort of cobbled together based on research and based on my own kind of intuition and sense of what creative people are like. And so from that, you know, I ended up doing this book, Wired to Create. I collaborated with uh, a psychologist, Scott Barry Kaufman, who was at Penn at the time. Now he's in New York. He's working at Columbia. And he does incredible work on creativity and uh, intelligence and sort of the intersection of those two things. So Scott and I came together and we did this book, Wired to Create, which is all about the personality psychology of creative people. And Writing that book, I got to spend a year just really immersed in the exploration of what creativity is, what creative people are like, what makes someone creative, and uh, really going deep into that. And after the book came out, I just started kind of naturally doing more work with people one-on-one -on, -one on their creative process. So I had a lot of people coming to me asking for advice about creativity, 
asking how to boost their creativity, asking how to get out of creative blocks, asking for help with their projects. And also as a writer, I was doing some collaborative work, helping people to put together book proposals. So I kind of started bringing those two things together, the writing that I had done and the research I'd done on creativity. And then this sort of just grassroots natural thing that started with people coming to me asking for help with their projects. So that is how my creative consulting work began. So if I had the means, I could email you and say, Carolyn, can you please consult me on how to finish my painting of Sailor Moon that I'm making, for example. <laughs> exactly. Um, that's not usually <laughs> the type of project that I work on, but I'm totally open to anything and everything. Oh, cool. Well, what is the t- usual type of project you work on? I work a lot with writers. I mean, that's what I really know. That's what I've done for my whole career. So you're a masochist. <laughs> yes, yes, it is. Uh, it is a painful process much of the time. Always a love-hate relationship. But I've worked with a lot of entrepreneurs as well. So those are kind of the two main things as people who are launching or growing creative businesses and then writers and people who are largely starting the process of writing their own book or writing their second book. Or I'm a little confused because if there's somebody who's a creative entrepreneur how do they pay you? Because aren't most like creative entrepreneurs like broke, <laughs> you know, because they're like, oh, I'm trying to get my creative business off the ground. It's all it's all been word of mouth. Um, and, you know, my prices are not crazy. I do this out of the joy and love of doing it. I am lucky that I live in this really thriving creative community in Brooklyn. I have a lot of friends doing different types of creative work and it's all just sort of spread organically. And it's been awesome. And I hope to keep it that way. You know, I love just building connections through my own network here in New York. And, you know, obviously it expands beyond that, but it's nice to have it just growing so organically. I love that. I, I, it's interesting yeah. because when, when I first read Creative Consultant, I would assume that you were, quote unquote, the creative. But it's, to be honest, more interesting that you have kind of recognized ways to help this, this group of people. I got to ask you, though, do you think that there are people who are creative and people who aren't creative? I've always kind of believed that everybody has creativity in them. Yes. So I think that is a really important question to start with because it speaks to really the biggest myth about creativity, which is that creativity is just something for these this sort of rare group of talented people like the Van Goghs and the Picassos and like these brilliant musicians and artists and writers And that's just not true. That's a conflation of the idea of talent with the idea of creativity. And in reality, they're two very different things. There is talent, which is, you know, a particular skill that you can have with a medium like paint or words or uh, music, whatever it is. And that's one thing. But creativity is just the way our brains work. That's the way that we're wired. That's why my book is called Wired to Create, because if you look at the brain science and you look deep into all of the work that's been done on creativity, you know, for the past hundred years, but going all the way back to ancient times, like people are fundamentally creative. That's how we evolved in every culture, you know, creativity, a storytelling, creative problem solving. It's just fundamental to the way that we live as humans and to the way that we've evolved and adapted over time. It's just who we are. It's who we are. Like if you, if you look at little kids, for instance, it's such a good way to learn about human nature on many different levels. But if you look at a child, every child plays. Every child takes an object and pretends that it's something else and creates a story in their mind about it. Or they 
take different things and they build a structure. Play is innate to who children are. Every You see this universally in every single child. And in fact, it's considered a normal and healthy part of childhood development. So if a child is not playing and not being creative, there's actually something wrong. So this is a very, very much an innate skill and capacity, not even a skill, that's probably the wrong way to put it, but it's an innate capacity that we all have. Man, that seems like such a hard myth to dispel. You know, I know people who say, oh, wow, you draw, I'm not creative at all. And I'm like, no, you are. Creativity doesn't equal oil paintings. It means yeah. right. And right. It's so limiting too. I this yeah, is sort of like so sad. It, <laughs> like, I'm really on a, I'm really on a personal mission to dispel this equation of creativity with art. And I love art and I think it's wonderful and beautiful and amazing. But creativity is so much more than that. We're creative with our lives. We're creative with ourselves. You know, if you do personal development work like you guys do, you are working on yourself. You're crafting your identity. That's a creative act. You know, crafting our identities. Yeah. And being creative in your life really means uh, coming up with an idea, a thought, a dream, a vision, and then taking that internal sort of entity and turning it into something real in the external world. That's creative. You're birthing something out of nothing. So that is the essence of the creative act. And really, this can be applied to anything. So for me, living creatively is just about Taking that creative approach to everything you do, everything in life is a medium through which we can be creative. I love the distinction that you've drawn between talent and creativity, because if anything, creativity is the solution to the talent. You know, it's like if you, quote unquote, have a talent, the creativity can be the application of that talent. You know, like let's say you're really good at problem solving or you're a performer or it's the application, the creative approach to how you're dispelling your talent, if that's the kind of side of the creative realm that you end up falling on. But I can, I completely agree. There's creativity in everything we do. All, all forms of problem solving are inherently creative. It's making a solution exist where there was none before. Exactly. And then I think where the distinction kind of gets fuzzy too, is that it is true that Some people are a bit more in touch with their creativity than others. Some people have more of a relationship with it that they've nurtured over time and others are less in tune with that part of themselves. And very commonly that's because of, you know, childhood experiences where our creativity was shut down, which literally everyone has experienced at some point in their lives, whether it's their parents or their teachers or their peers. Like we all you know, have kind of expressed our wild, crazy selves when we were little and then had someone laugh at us or reject us or shut us down or whatever it was. And when we're young and that happens and we're a little bit more fragile at that time, we kind of create these beliefs that like, oh, if I express myself, someone's going to laugh at me or I'm not going to be accepted or I'm going to be rejected. And so we kind of over time when that happens repeatedly, or even if there's just one experience that really hit us hard where that happened, we shut down our expression. That's something that happens to a lot of people. So I think a lot of times also when we're looking at this distinction of are some people creative and are some people not creative, to me, it's more of a question of have some people kept the channel of their creativity open and have some people kind of shut it down. Is it ever too late to get your creativity back? Like say you've lived your whole life kind of living by the rules and doing what you think everyone else thinks you should do. And then you retire and you're like 65 and then you kind of want to 
start something new? Is it just all there and like waiting kind of dormant? Oh, absolutely. I think it's the desire and the intention and then acting on that intention that can activate that at any point in your life. I was just reading an article about this woman, I wish I could remember her name, who was just having her first art show at the age of 95. And like her paintings were incredible. They were so beautiful. And, you know, it's never too late. Even my mom, uh, my mom was an accountant for her whole life, did, you know, tax work. And when she retired five years ago, she started traveling all over the world, which is something she'd always wanted to do and never been able to. And I think that for her was like, embracing this more creative life in retirement that she hadn't been able to um, to live out earlier in her life. So it's always, you know, we just have to get to the point where we're, we're we make that choice and we're willing to just kind of say, you know, screw it. I'm going to do this thing I've always wanted to do. Wow. Okay, guys, you heard it here. An experts just said it's never too late. So you know what? It's never too late. <laughs> it's never too late. It's never too late. <laughs> it's never too late. What about the relationship, you know, between creativity and commodity. I think so much, so often, uh, it's more of a question slash thought piece. Um, so much as Americans are in our society, we're wired to reflect encouragement through the means of capitalism. Like mm-hmm. somebody shows you their art. It's like, well, let's commodify that. Or mm-hmm. somebody shows you their music and it's like, you should make a whole album. Have you noticed that impulse response, that reaction, that our relationship in response to creativity, not just creativity within us. Oh, for sure. I mean, I think that's kind of the approach that we take to everything, you know, is is to commodify it, to brand everything, to brand ourselves. And, you know, that's fine to a certain extent, but I think we need to be self-aware about when that is negatively impacting our creative process. Like, are we starting to do it for the audience? Are we starting to do it for the money? Not that there's anything wrong. I think creative should make lots of money, but you know, what is the real motivation? And is that getting skewed by this need that we have in our society to make everything into a commodity? And I think another risk and something that I've been reflecting on a lot is this distinction between creation and production. And those are two different things. So creation is a- really agree. Yeah. I'm that down. Yeah. And so this is a really important distinction. And I think it's something that really plays into what you're speaking to, which is that we feel like we have to produce so much. I mean, if you're working for a company, you probably are under a lot of pressure to be churning out a lot of ideas or a lot of product, whatever it is. Or if you work for yourself and you have to promote your own work, there's this sense that like, oh my God, I have to be like constantly churning out new things in order to stay relevant. And so it's really easy to get into this cycle of like, the creativity is gone. Like I'm just producing and I'm doing as much as I can as fast as I can. And I have to say that it's, it's rare that anything truly beautiful and original that touches people comes from a mindset of production. And I don't know if this is even the best example, but I just recently watched the documentary, The Biggest Little Farm, which is amazing if you haven't seen it. And it was such a beautifully made documentary and it was actually filmed over the course of 10 years. It was just so amazing to see something that had been cared for and nurtured for such a long time. Clearly, they didn't even really know what was going to happen with it because the story was evolving as things went on. And you can feel it as the audience. You can feel that that was something that it was created organically over time with a lot of love and a lot of attention and a lot of care from everyone that was involved with it, as opposed to a rush job that was a bunch of people, you know, executives sitting in a boardroom 
an agent saying like, hey, we need this from you in three months, this huge project and like, go do it fast. Like that's production and creation is something very different. You know, I could go on about this for a long time, but I think it's something that as working creatives, we really have to ask ourselves when we're in each of those mindsets and how we can kind of balance the two. I mean, you're absolutely right. And I think that what you spoke to before about that being a part of self-knowledge. Guys, this is a segue. Is that what led you to create (laughs) (laughs) the Adobe Creative Type Test? Well, it's certainly been a driving motivation of all of my work is, I guess, trying to better understand myself and trying to better understand creativity in general, which just both are kind of mysterious things. And so with this test, I really wanted to help creative people to hopefully just get a slightly better understanding of the way that they operate. How did this thing come about? Like, take us all the way back to the beginning. Did you create the types? I did. Yeah. So, so basically, so this is a funny story. I actually, uh, I think I manifested this project because I was sitting one night and I was like, I really, I hadn't done any writing specific to creativity in a while. And I was really feeling like I wanted to do that again and to start exploring more through my writing at the creative process, the creative mind. And so I sat down and I was like, okay, I really want to like create an opportunity where I can do that. And literally I promise that this is true. The next morning I got an email from Adobe that was like, hey, we're looking for someone who's an expert in the creative personality. We're, we're trying to put together this test for creatives that we can use as a marketing tool. And do you know anyone or would you be interested? And so I just had a call with them and basically spoke to them about how I would approach it. And they loved it. And that was that. And it was just a wonderful Whoa. case of asking the universe for something and then having it come in right away. Through your inbox. <laughs> Exactly. Right. And that's how how the universe talks now. It is. (laughs) That is so wild. I got so both Hannah and I took this test months and months ago, I think when it was first making the rounds on the Internet. What stood out to me was just how stunning it was to watch. Did you. So Mm, for for mm -hmm. our listeners who haven't taken the test yet, each question is paired with this really lovely. I, I don't know how you would call it a visual, a very like geometric, visual. Well, here, actually, you're the creator of the test. How would you describe the visuals? <laughs> so I am the, um, I did all of the writing for the test. I did not do the visuals. I should say, I don't want to take credit at all for that because we had an incredible team of designers and photographers and creators uh, who did all of the visual work. Basically, I came up with these questions after I had developed um, all of the types And then they went to work illustrating both the types and the questions. So the questions got these kind of cool, like live action. Oh, they almost look like animations, but they're basically little videos created from live sets with different shapes and kind of very tactile, sensory sort of. um, I love it. Stimulation. Yeah. So great. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We had this incredible 3D designer who did the characters for the eight final types, and he just did an amazing job bringing them to life uh, using, oh my gosh, I don't even, I'm so, I'm not very technologically (laughs) savvy. He used some kind of um, 
program to to That's fine. Nobody cares. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> probably Adobe. Probably, probably, Adobe. probably an Adobe product. <laughs> this episode is not sponsored by Adobe, everyone, by the way. <laughs> Though I wish it was. Adobe, please give me free software. Jesus God. I would love that. So will you talk us a bit through the types and how you came? Well, actually, just talk us through the types themselves. I trust you. I'm sure you came to these conclusions uh, through your studies and all your lifelong work. So I believe that. So let's uh, let's talk about the types. <laughs> let's talk about the types themselves. Yeah. So, well, first of all, I think it almost doesn't matter how they came about. I think what matters is that people resonate with them. I kind of encourage everyone to just play around with like what their type is and what the see what the other types are and just see how it fits and then see like if you can kind of maybe decipher like the personality traits that go into that character. But so what the eight types are? There's the dreamer, the artist the thinker, the maker, the innovator, the visionary, the producer, am I forgetting one? Oh, the adventurer. So we have these eight types. They are, I think, a fairly thorough representation of the sort of spectrum of creative personality. But one sort of important note that I'd like to make is that you know, this is not about sort of labeling or pigeonholing people. Really, my strongest finding and belief about the creative personality is that it's incredibly complex and fluid. And so actually creative people tend to have many different faces and wear many different masks and sort of morph into different forms and shape shift, you know, throughout their lives, throughout their careers, and even just at different stages of the creative process, like we can embody different types based on what's needed in the moment, based on what's inspiring us in the moment. You know, I think our identities are much more fluid than we think. And it's, like I said, something that we are actively creating and recreating throughout our lives. So, you know, a lot of people will have one primary type and then maybe two or three subtypes. So for instance, I'm the dreamer, just kind of introverted, intuitive, kind of has this eye for beauty and daydreams a lot, often involved in writing or poetry or the arts proper, I guess. And then my sort of subtypes would be the thinker, which is a little more intellectual and philosophical, and the visionary, which is sort of a little bit more extroverted, a little bit more external facing with their creativity, whereas uh, the dreamer is very like internal and self-reflective and emotional. I'm curious, actually, to hear what you guys are. Well, we love talking about ourselves, so you are in luck. (laughs) Just to respond to that a little bit, I feel like Part of what nurtures creativity is that comfort in fluidity to shapeshift, as you say. I mean, it's funny because the word mask or like shapeshifting always has these like negative connotations. But um, I, I sometimes feel like masks are the selves we choose to present in situations to keep ourselves protected, you know, because mm-hmm. not every situation is going to be one that, let's say, the dreamer would feel safe in. Right. Mm -hmm. And like Mm -hmm. being being comfortable with that and not letting any single identity define your entire identity. Exactly. I totally agree. And there's so much interesting research on creative people that says that they're very paradoxical. So, you know, a creative person, you know, very much connected to their creativity and doing creative work in their lives and living in a creative way 
is going to be sort of both an introvert and an extrovert at the same time. Like they're more likely on personality tests to score as being both like very resilient and also very emotionally sensitive. So they have all of these paradoxes. And that's actually how the my book is framed is in this series of kind of paradoxical traits that creative people have both of. And so that's kind of what brings forth this fluidity is like, I can be super introverted one moment and super extroverted the next. That's a a process of sort of like allowing myself to explore all of the possibilities within me. And that's really what gives rise to the desire to create is a desire to understand oneself and to bring forth like these different parts of our minds, parts of our being, and to make meaning out of them through whatever medium is, is available to us. That's fucking beautiful, man. That's beautiful. <laughs> I feel like I, I resonate with that so much because I wish I didn't frustrate the people on my like team so much because I can at once be very detail oriented, but then also very like, it's fine. We have to look at the bigger picture. And I think that for people that really like to, for people whose defense mechanism is to be predictive of mm-hmm. other people's like behavior, like, oh, they like it like this. I'm going to try this every time. I've encountered like, in terms of like people you work with, that frustration of just like, well, you said you wanted all the details. And it's like, well, I don't need all the details today. Totally. Mm -hmm. Well, there's an interesting tidbit from a study that was done, I think in the 60s that I love. Um, It was a study on creative writers. And it found that, you know, they did all of these different personality tests on these writers. And they found that they scored in the top 10% on all tests of mental health, of like resilience and psychological health, like a trait called ego strength, which is really having um, a very solid sense of who you are and an ability to work through challenges, bounce back from obstacles, etc. So there's there are people who are very, you know, emotionally sound and very strong and mentally healthy, essentially, but they also scored in the top 10% on all measures of psychopathology, so mental illness. So you have this unusual, yeah, I know. So they, (laughs) what they, um, the sort of conclusion was that creative people have this very unusual synthesis of healthy and sort of, you know, what our culture at least would consider pathological traits. They're even high in a trait known as schizotypy, which is related to schizophrenia. It's a, you know, sort of the very mild symptomatic form of that, which is essentially magical thinking. The interesting thing as well is that one part of ego strength, this trait of mental health, is being really grounded in reality. So I like to kind of think of creative people as being these sort of magical realists. Like they're very tied to a sense of possibility that, you know, some people would say is is ungrounded or is unrealistic or too imaginative, but they're very realistic at the same time. So it provides this like counterbalance to those tendencies. And I feel like even within the paradoxes, there are paradoxes. Like when I was reading about some of the characteristics of creativity and how creative people are flexible and tend to be able to shape shift, like Hannah was saying, and take on all these other roles. And I was reading that and I thought, well, I'm like quite rigid and afraid of change and also feel stuck a lot. So, but then I thought, well, maybe I'm not flexible all the time, but I must be flexible in some ways or in other ways or in ways that I'm not even aware of. So it just was a lot to think about. Mm. I think that it's funny, Hannah, because it's like, I live in a world and a life and a career in which I am constantly getting feedback all the time. And that has been good and bad because it's shown me the areas that I'm flexible and the areas that I'm not. You know, when you have to lead people, you get this sense of self-knowledge because 
you have to, otherwise you're a shitty mm-hmm. leader. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. or like, and also when you work in entertainment, you get this constant feedback on like all of your work, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And like how you're dressed. <laughs> and how you're dressed. Whether or not you get paid or not. (laughs) I know. Well, I'm I'm mindful of our time, but uh, Hannah, why don't you go ahead and tell Carolyn what type you got? Ooh, Carolyn, do you want to guess what type Hannah is? (laughs) Is Um, that too hard? Okay. Well, you mentioned uh, your enneagram type was a four, so I'm going to guess that you are the dreamer or the artist. You know, I would have thought I would be the dreamer, but I came out as the visionary. So maybe I'm like a strong subtype of dreamer. And you know, it's funny. I was kind of surprised, but then I really resonated with the kind of helpful criticism part of the um, type description that says... Yeah, yeah. Let's read the whole description so that people listening can know what the the, the description of the visionary is. Uh, Okay. You live in a world of infinite possibilities, preferring to see things not as they are, but as they could be. You know that life is limited only by the boundaries of your own beliefs, and you're driven to push the limits of everything. See, already right there, I'm like, I'm not strong enough to do that. But let me continue. (laughs) Uh, Emotional, passion-driven, and full of ideas. Okay, yes. The visionary combines a vivid imagination with a desire for practical solutions. Your introspective and intuitive nature is balanced by a keen interest in the world around you and a desire to contribute to society. Charismatic and expressive, you love sharing your ideas and visions with others and creating community around shared values and ideas. Your greatest gift is the ability to see the spark of potential in everything and everyone and to inspire others to see it too. You're able to guide people toward an invisible horizon with a rare generosity of spirit and strength of conviction. Here's the part that really resonated with me. Don't get stuck in the dreaming stage. (laughs) Your greatest challenge and true power lies in learning to take consistent daily action to create the future you envision. Mm. I can't even, I stand that paragraph so hard. Like that's the whole, if I could figure out how to consistently take daily action, I would have no problems. (laughs) (laughs) I actually, oh my gosh, I wanted to bring this up because I set this goal for myself of sitting down for 10 minutes a day. Even if I don't do anything, that's fine. It still counts if I just sit down for 10 minutes a day because I'm trying to like carve out a routine of making that my creative time that I do on a daily basis. And even just doing that has been so difficult, even for 10 minutes. Just to sit still? That sounds really hard. Well, I mean, to like sit down and have just have that intention, I guess, and be like, yes, I did it today. That sounds real. I mean, yeah, that's a or good just like goal, doodle, but... like doodle or seriously, yeah, doodle or for even, 10 minutes. even if I'm like, I don't have energy to doodle, just like, that's OK. I'm going to sit at the desk and stare at the wall. I'm trying to start with like the first atom of making a good habit, you know? Well, let's ask our creative consultant. Do you think that 10 minutes of staring into the void is healthy? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Well, it's not what I typically recommend, although, you know, whatever works for you. But one thing I would say is to, you know, first of all, to honor the fact. So if you're a visionary, it means that you're very much an ideas person. And that's an incredible thing to be. You know, some of us are more action oriented and some of us are more ideas oriented. Some of us are more dreamers. Some of us are more doers. And so ideally, we want to come to a synthesis of those two things. But I think it's good to just be aware of your preference. And instead of maybe like when you find yourself shaming yourself about it or feeling like you need to be doing more to try to reframe it as like the fact that you need space and time to come up with ideas and to allow yourself kind of like the joy and the pleasure of doing that. 
but then finding it's it's a process of self-awareness and trial and error to find the ways that you can work in more action and more doing and more getting things done in the least unpleasant way possible. So kind of following the things that are making you happy, bringing you joy. Like, can you check something off of your to-do list that is relevant to your creative goals in 15 minutes? And then like, let yourself go back to, you know, doing your visionary ideas, like dreamer thing. Again, it's a trial and error process of figuring out how to work with the things that you're good at and that you naturally want to do and then kind of like sneak in the things that aren't so natural to you. Oh, I like that. I like that too, because I feel like we're always, you know, there's this self, what's it called? Flagellation or what is it? Where you like whip yourself. We have this idea. Sitting for 10 minutes is really hard. So therefore, it must be the thing I have to do to nurture this part of myself. Is what you're saying that you should be looking for the path of least resistance? Exactly. That's exactly what I'm saying. And for me, for instance, what that looked like when I was in periods where I was doing a lot of writing, which I still do, is first the longest time I thought that I had to be on a regular schedule where I was getting up and like making myself right for two hours every morning or like keeping this like very regular rigid daily schedule and it was really hard for me and what I finally realized over time and fortunately having the flexibility of being self-employed was that my creativity is very cyclical so I have periods for maybe like a week or two weeks where I kind of just need more space to like let things marinate like simmer over ideas like maybe take notes do research like kind of get some stuff out but not a ton And then I go into these like really quick, intense bursts of like super productive writing for a few days. And then I kind of tire myself out and I go back into that like dreamy idea stage. And so once I just started letting myself do that, instead of feeling like it had to be different and it had to be more structured, I actually started getting a lot more done and it was so much easier. It was so much less energy, less work because I was just kind of flowing along with what my natural inclinations are. And that's what I really try to encourage people to do. Like we all have these natural ways that our mind wants to think and that our body wants to move. And if you can start to tap into that, which I hope that this test will help people do in some way or another, then everything just gets a lot easier. You just start working in a way that makes more sense for you. And that's also... Oh my God. Yeah. And it gets back to You are changing my life right now. (laughs) It gets back to this, um, this question of creation versus production. Like I was trying to make myself be, uh, just be producing and writing is not a process of production. Like I needed to let myself go slow and be kind of dreamy for a while and not feel guilty about that. And know like, okay, when I'm ready, my brain's going to kick into gear and I'm going to like go really hard and fast for a few days and then just exhaust myself and then be done. And like that works super well for me. So I think it's really all about like noticing a lot of us try to fit into this like production schedule that's very assembly line. And that is just the opposite of how creativity works. So find your own way of doing things, like start to tune into yourself in whatever ways you can, meditation, yoga, you know, all these spiritual tools are great for that. And you'll start to just see like, what is the way that I kind of want to do things? There's, we all have like a natural flow. It's how, it's how can I best accommodate the natural cycles of my creativity without rejecting them? Because rejecting your natural cycle of creativity is not going to make you more creative. It's not. And I think like, it's hard because initially there's like an issue of trust. Like, I'm, I feel like I'm not going to get things done. And, uh, you know, we ha- obviously we have pressures and deadlines and bills that we need to pay and people that 
we need to be accountable to you. And of course that's there. And so it takes a little time to, to trust yourself and to realize like, okay, like if I do this and I, you know, if I step it up in this way, that feels okay for me, like I'm going to meet the deadline and I'm going to deliver in the way that I need to. But, you know, perhaps it's not necessary for me to like start putting the pressure on in this other way that is just exhausting me, you know? So it's a, it's a back and forth and it's a negotiation for a while. It's both self-trust and it's also self-worth because yes. let's say your creative experience is not linked to your income. It's not linked to how you pay your bills. Then it becomes, is it worth it? And the, and it's that, that level of like allowing yourself to let this be worth it. I think it's something that really holds people back from having creative outlets. Exactly. There's a lot of guilt. There's a lot of worthiness, a lot of worthiness issues. And those things also like when we're in a place of self-judgment and self-worthiness, it's really hard to be able to hear the inner voice that's telling us the way that we actually want to move. That's telling us what our natural inclinations are. So that's, again, that's a whole process of working through those layers of self-judgment to just be able to notice and tune in and hear when we want to do even you know maybe if your creativity isn't tied to your work it's just like I want to try this kind of weird hobby and picking up on that signal and saying like okay I'm just going to do it instead of ignoring the voice in your head that says that and just not even thinking anything of it because you feel unworthy of that yes oh my goodness and um this is so helpful because you know I feel a lot of people I admire all like Anne Lamott for instance does say you know, sit down every day at the same time. Discipline is the key to freedom. And so I've just been like torturing myself basically about every day for the past 18 years. Um, like <laughs> trying to be this like person who gets up and like joyfully sits down is very uh, systematic about it. And I, I think, yeah, I just don't think that's how my brain works. That might be Anne Lamott, but it might not be you. Right. And even with like, I'm trying to plan a trip abroad right now. And I'm going with my friend who's very type A and has like a spreadsheet and like emails me every day about all these things. And I've been like beating myself up because I'm like, I'm not there. I'm just gonna I just want to show up and see what happens. Kind of. I mean, sure, I will plan a little bit. But (laughs) (laughs) dude, that's that's it's a lot to do a big international trip with a friend because that is a person that is that's a personality type. Ella and I, uh, my fiance, we're very fortunate. And Hannah, I think you and I are the same way is that, well, once we get there, we'll figure out what we want to do. Because making all these plans, mm-hmm. like, that would, dude, that would literally, like, make me crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I'm like, well, how do we even know what we want to do? Once we get there, that's a different day. I might be, be a different person on that day. I agree. I completely agree. <laughs> you know? Yeah, so it's it's all about self-awareness. It's really, that's pretty much the whole thing. It's not, like, sexy, and it's maybe not, like, an easy quick fix, but... If you can like take the bit of time to sort of deconstruct your mind a little bit, you'll get to that place where you're kind of flowing with your natural vibe. (laughs) That sounds very sexy to me. It does sound (laughs) super sexy. And also the way you said it sounded sexy. I'm just saying, it was like all very sexy. Anyway, Hannah, you know, I bet you can find a way to communicate that and just be like, hey, you know, what I really look forward to is giving myself some time to adjust from the trip. So for the first couple days, I'd like to leave them open Mm. and maybe you guys can find a compromise on schedule plan for each day versus no plan at all. Like maybe you guys can find. Right. Yeah. Because I want to go and feel, you know, when I come back, I want to feel like rested and not like (laughs) more tired than I currently am. (laughs) Yeah. 
And that is valid. And all you got to mm-hmm. do is communicate that. And hopefully your friend is not, um, you know, some vengeful person and you'll be fine. You oh, know? but buddy, we have to talk about your type. We do have to talk about my type. So I am, I got the dreamer, which I thought was shocking for me. That's re- yeah, that's really surprising to me. See, I feel like Hannah, we got, the, we got, uh, like, I should have gotten the dreamer. I you feel like, yeah, I think you guys did get opposite. <laughs> I agree. I completely agree. Because I, to be honest, I don't daydream ever. I'm not a daydreamer. Well, I would encourage you to take the test again. I mean, one thing I will fully admit and confess about this is that it's only 15 questions. The questions were deliberately super abstract to make it kind of like fun and engaging. So this is like not a scientific test. I will be the first one to say that. (laughs) I think it was one of the questions that said, are you driven more by or the question that was about curious versus... Oh, curiosity and endurance. Yeah. And it was like, are you more like curious or is there secret power, curiosity or endurance? And I'm like, well, everyone knows I'm a curious person. So my secret superpower is my endurance. There There were words within the questions that changed my answers. Like if it said, what's your superpower? I would probably be like, probably my curiosity. What's your secret superpower? I'm like, oh, it's my endurance. Nobody knows how much I can endure. Yeah, which totally gets back to everything we've been saying, which is that we're kind of like, we all fall on both sides of the spectrum. And, you know, I've had people say that they've taken the test at different times and different moods and they've gotten two different answers, but they connected with both answers. So I also encourage people to like look at the different types and just see which one you resonate with the most. And one thing that I hope to do one day is to kind of flush this out in a a test with more questions. You know, we were limited by time and scope and like wanting to create something that people people could get through it in two minutes. It is awesome though. Oh yeah, you know, totally. It's a beautiful test and it's a really great test and it opens up a lot of really interesting conversations. And honestly, I for one am a little bit thrilled that Hannah got the visionary and I got the dreamer because it shows probably why we're like such good friends, because I bet it's all about our interpretations landing on opposite sides. Like we, the way we interpret like the questions or like the experience of the test, you know? Because if you thought I was visionary and I thought you were dreamer and we're both like, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And you guys both have those different, yeah, those different sides of yourself. And the, so the dreamer and the visionary are actually complementary types. One, the dreamer is the introverted version of the visionary who is more extroverted. That may or may not fit your personalities based on just kind of what you answered in the moment. But it sounds like you both have both of those types that are kind of manifesting based on whether you're in a more like external, outward facing kind of um, mood or role versus being more in like a dreamy internal space. Mm. I'm going to take the test again right after this. And Carolyn, I'm going to go ahead and see if we can get in touch so I might need to hire you for some creative consulting because I got a lot of projects going and they're all um, contingent on, uh, they all need to succeed. So anyway, what you talking about? Call me anytime. <laughs> Call me anytime. I love it. Um, thank you so much. Is, if there's anything, ooh, here's a fun thing for us all to do. What's one quote about creativity that we'd all love to share? Like what's one quote for anyone who's trying to, Oh, I have one from the book right in front of me. Yeah, let's hear it. It's Francis Bacon. An artist must be nourished by their passions and by their despairs. 
I like that one. I like that. Ooh, I love this one too. I really resonated with this, but maybe I only wanted to resonate with it. God. Okay. The truly creative mind in any field is no more than this. A human creature born abnormally, inhumanly sensitive. To them, a touch is a blow. A sound is a noise. A misfortune is a tragedy. A joy is an ecstasy. A friend is a lover. A lover is a god. And failure is death. Add to this truly delicate organism the overpowering necessity to create, create, and create so that without the creating of music or poetry or books or buildings or something of meaning, their very breath is cut off from them. They must create, must pour out creation by some strange, unknown, inward urgency. They are not really alive unless they are creating. So I can't tell if I'm just a drama queen or (laughs) I can say for sure that failure is death. (laughs) Really resonates. I loved that quote. I loved it. A friend is a lover and a lover is a god. I don't yeah, think I've ever great? resonated with something. Oh, my God. So beautiful. Yes. Carolyn, excellent job getting quotes. Excellent. <laughs> really just great, great book. Yeah. Um, if people want to find more of you or your books, uh, wh- where can we go? Where can people go to get, get their Carolyn graphics on? <laughs> oh, absolutely. Well, you can visit my website. It's carolyngregoire.com. And uh, you can check out my book. It's called Wired to Create. Uh, you know, I'm on social media, but I don't use it much. So the best way to get in touch with me is go to my website, send me a note. I have my email there. And I love talking about creative things. I love meeting creative people. So would love to hear from anyone who took the test and resonated with it or just wants to chat about stuff they're working on. Really, awesome. really wonderful. Thank you so much, Caroline, for being here. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Yes, thank you so much. And for those of you who want to contribute to the creative arts, you can go ahead and go to patreon.com <laughs> slash analyze this and become a patron of this amazing, wonderful podcast. Our tiers start at $5. So basically, it's like buying the Hannah's a cup of coffee that they share. and appreciate so much Uh, uh, very 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 much i would split a five dollar cappuccino with you anytime hannah go uh buddy i would do the same i would do the same i would do the same (laughs) okay so what's our outro failure is death death. (laughs) we didn't read the book we love you guys (laughs) we love you guys like please rate review okay (laughs) bye-bye bye-bye